Hi, I'm Peggy. And I'm Dave. And this is Amped. Hey, Dave, how are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I am doing okay. Doing all right. So it's September. Weather's a little bit cooler. Back to school schedule is in full swing. So, you know, trying to settle into a whole new normal in the Chenoweth household. I understand that feeling. I uh, I shipped my son to school uh, last weekend. So he's in New York City now full time. And it is a little odd with the house not having him here. Yeah, you just have the uh, your daughter home, right? Well, Max is lurking. Okay. <laughs> Max is still lurking around um, as he's local anyway. So um, I haven't completely extricated myself of children. But um, Jackson not being here is weird because Jackson is very high energy. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope he has a great time in college. I miss college. <laughs> we all do. We oh. would do so much better if we went back now. Oh, I know. I really, really miss it. All right. So, you know, everybody's back to school. And I know you've been doing a lot of traveling for work. So we thought that this would be a really good time to kind of introduce another one of our Hall of Fame podcast topics, which is everybody's favorite topic, TSA and travel. Always, always good for a laugh, right? Yes. <laughs> um, so in today's podcast, we're going to be talking, you know, obviously, in traveling in and of itself is intimidating and overwhelming um, for most people, probably not for you, because I think you spend probably 20% of your time on the plane now. But for most people, it's intimidating and stressful and angst-ridden. Um, but when you add limb loss to the mix, it just kind of it it um, amplifies everything. Um, but you know, just because you're frustrated, just because you're scared, doesn't mean that you shouldn't still hop on the plane, hop on the train, and get out there and travel. So in today's podcast, we're going to try to separate fact from fiction, talk about the role of TSA and how you can work with them, what they will do, what they shouldn't do, how to handle worst case scenarios, what to do on plane, plane etiquette, that sort of thing. And trust us, Dave, it's not as bad as people have it built up in their heads. Yeah. And, and I think it's important to remember, Peggy, that most of the news you read about air travel particularly is about how bad it is. So, you know, it, it's there are not a lot of news stories talking about how amazing, you know, TSA is and how amazing uh, the service on planes is uh, because it doesn't get clicks. So the, the reality is we, we probably have a somewhat distorted view of this whole issue because I think probably 90 times out of 100 the interactions with TSA agents and with airline personnel are completely fine and uneventful. But obviously the the 10% the or less that are bad are really bad. And that's, that's kind of the world that everyone assumes we live in as the norm. And I don't think it is. But um, in, you know, in this podcast, I think we go all the way, Peggy, from before you even leave your house to what happens when you get off the plane. So it's a pretty comprehensive podcast. And we start with pre-trip planning and packing. Do you want to take this or do you want me to go? Um, I will take it. The very first tip that I have is never, ever, 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 ever 
pack your prosthesis in your checked bag. You know, this is a device that's very valuable. It's very personalized for you. Think of it this way, Dave. You're not going to throw $10,000 of cash in a check suitcase, right? You're not going to throw your most valuable possessions in a checked bag and put them on a carousel and hope that they make it to your destination. Don't do that with your prosthetic devices either. Um, The Air Carrier Access Act gives you the right to bring your prosthesis into the main cabin with you, and they do not count against your carry-on limit. We actually receive a lot of questions about that, so let us be clear. They do not count against your carry-on limit. Yep. And I have very rarely had to cite the Air Carrier Access Act. I think I've done it once or twice in all the years I've been traveling when someone gave me a hard time at the airline. But in general, if you just explain to people, hey, this is my, this is a prosthetic leg. It's something I wear every day and that I need. Most flight attendants immediately just like, okay, yep, no problem. And they'll work around you. You know, and people may ask, well, if, if, if it's your prosthetic, like, why are you not wearing it? You know, it could be that you're going, to, you know, I bring my swim leg when we go to the beach. So you might be talking about some sort of special sport leg. You might have, you know, you might be traveling with crutches or on a wheelchair that day. You don't have to justify it. You can simply say, this is my prosthetic device. I'm taking it on the cabin with me. And I know that it does not count against my carry on limit. And say it with a smile. You will always go farther with a smile. Yes. If there was one general piece of advice we could give that's not specific to any aspect of air travel, it's the nicer you treat the people who you're dealing with, the more likely it is you're going to get what you want because they get a lot of negative energy directed at them all day. Yes. Um, I'm going to let you talk about the next point because you do far more of this than I do, and that is choosing the correct seats. Yeah. So when you're flying on a plane, um, obviously, there's if you're in most planes, um, there's at minimum an aisle seat and a window seat. And uh, very frequently, there's a middle seat as well. And we all know, I think, as a matter of course, the middle seat is not where you ever want to be just because you're in the middle of two people and who wants to be there. But um, so the real question is window or aisle. And in my experience and what I do almost 95 percent of the time is I take an aisle seat. And the reason for that is that it's just so much easier to get up and out of the seat from the aisle than it is if you're all the way on the inside. And the taller you are, the more true this is going to be. Um, you know, the, the only downside to being on the aisle seat is that people are getting up during the flight sometimes and stepping over you or asking you to move out of the seat as the, so they can use the restroom. But um, I, I, in my experience, that's far better than being trapped on the inside, trying to get out. People often leave you know, shoes and or the, the luggage they tucked under the seat in front of them. And it's sort of sitting on, you know, in the space where you're trying to walk. And it's just hard with the prosthesis to do that. Um, now, if you do like, you just have a, a deep love of the window seat and say, I don't want to sit anywhere else but the window seat. Um, my recommendation is if you are a unilateral lower limb amputee, choose the side that is the opposite side of your amputation. So if you're a right limb amputee, choose the left side of the plane and vice versa. And the reason for that is planes are giant tubes. 
they're curved. And the bottom uh, wall, where the wall meets the floor when you're sitting at a window seat, actually tends to be slightly further in towards the center of the plane um, than, uh, than a normal flat, you know, 90 degree angle wall would be. As a result, you lose space on the prosthetic side. Um, and so it's just, um, sorry, you're losing space actually on the, I got to do this in my head now, Peggy. If I'm, if I'm a left amputee, I want to sit on the right window seat. Correct. Because I, I want to right. uh, make sure that I have more space to comfortably be able to stretch out. So choose the opposite side of your amputation. If you're choosing a window seat, it's generally more comfortable. Good to know. Um, I actually, I, I knew that about the floor, Dave, but I actually didn't put it together. So that's a really good piece of advice that I will keep in mind next time I book a ticket. Good. Um, and our third pre-planning tip is, um, you know, be aware of your airline's policy with wheelchair access. All airlines have web pages devoted to wheelchair access. Um, most airports also have pages devoted to it. If you choose to use a wheelchair, um, make sure that, that you tell them that you're going to need an assistant to help you get from gate to gate or to help you down the, the tar. Is it the tarmac? No, they don't call it that anymore. The do jet they? bridge. Jet, there you go. Down the jet bridge. Um, all of that, if you can plan it before you get to the airport, it's going to make the whole travel day a lot smoother. No question. No question. And in addition, when you are traveling, it's smart to pack prosthetic-related equipment with you. It can be an Allen wrench, a shoehorn, um, other miscellaneous, miscellaneous items that are specifically related to your prosthesis. And when you do that, make sure you pack it in the right places. And it's important to remember the things I just mentioned, Allen wrenches, shoehorns, they can be part of your carry-on. I carry a massive metal shoehorn. It's about a foot long. Um, and sometimes they always, they frequently want to know what it is, but um, they take it out, they inspect it, and it always goes right back in the bag. No problem. But critically important, place it in the outer pocket of your carry-on. If you sort of bury it in the middle of your bag someplace, they're going to have to rip through your luggage to find the the metal stuff that's in there. And you don't want that. So you just put it in the outside pouch. Similarly, um, there, there are other uh, prosthetic related items like Vaseline or A&D ointment, skincare products, anything that's a lotion like that. Um, you've got to put it in a Ziploc bag. Remember that any of these fluids must be 3.4 ounces or less. And again, put them in the outer pouch of your carry-on um, and I'll explain why the outer pouch of the carry-on is also just from a uh, efficiency standpoint as you're going through security is really important. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. Great advice. Um, and finally, get your boarding pass before you leave for the airport. Um, electronic is best, mainly because it's one less thing that you have to carry, one less thing that you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about losing it. It's right on your phone. It's right there. Um, if for some reason you don't do mobile boarding passes or your phone can't equip to get one, um, try to print it out the night before. It'll just make everything at check-in a lot easier. And again, the less things you have to worry about on travel day, the easier it's going to be for you. 
Yeah, and that's a really good point, Peggy. I mean, some of the best travel advice I've gotten that's not specific to being an amputee is don't leave anything to chance on the day of. Just do it all beforehand. Um, I, I, I once read a travel site that said it doesn't matter what time you're leaving the next morning, whether it's 6 a.m. or 12 noon. They say pack up all your stuff the night before so you just don't have to deal with it. If you get back to your room at midnight, still pack it up the night before so that in the morning you just get up and go. Um, so let's talk about TSA for a second, Peggy. Um, and this will be more than a second, actually. But a few things about TSA. The first is when you get to the airport, know what I call the, the security two-step. And what this consists of is when you walk into the airport and you are walking towards the security line, there will be somebody from the airport who wants to first make sure that you have your boarding pass with you. And at this very initial checkpoint, this is before you actually get to a TSA agent, you do not need your driver's license. So do not stand there fumbling for your driver's license because you don't need it at that point. The only thing you need to get into the security line itself is your boarding pass. So as you're approaching the security line, either on your phone or if you did choose to print it out the night before, pull out your boarding pass, you show it to the person, you keep right on walking. And then that gets you to step two, which is the actual TSA agent. And at that point, you will need both your boarding pass and your ID, um, which is either your driver's license or uh, your passport. And um, we'll, we'll, we'll probably make this um, this podcast slightly dated, Peggy, but um, between now and I believe October of 2020, um, you have to get, uh, if you don't choose to travel with a passport, you have to upgrade your driver's license to one that is acknowledged and accepted by airports. And I forget the exact terminology they the use for it. Real ID. Yeah, real ID, this, right? Yeah, you have to have um, something that's beyond just the normal driver's license. Basically, they charge you a few bucks more when you renew your driver's license to get this higher uh, security standard. Oh, it's more license. than that, Dave. Have you done it yet? It's uh, 30 in New York. No, I mean, the, the amount of paperwork that's required that oh. you have to bring to prove not only that you are who you say you are, but to, that you live where you say that you live is insane. Yeah, it's, um, I believe it's passport plus proof of residence. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I actually have to do this next week because my driver's license is about to expire a week from, uh, what was it, a week from today. So, I will be at DMV uh, between now and Friday doing exactly this. Good times. Yes. Yes. Do you want to talk about the security conveyor belt? Oh, the security conveyor belt. All right. Uh, I'm going to do it that if you are not TSA pre-check, because I am not. And I'm assuming that you are, okay? Yes, that would All be right. a good assumption. All right. So I am not TSA pre-check, which means that, that I didn't pay extra. I don't travel a lot. So it wasn't worth it for me to to get vetted to go through kind of the quicker line. Um, so when I know that I'm going to be going through TSA, when I'm packing up my carry-on bag, I always put all of my liquids and everything ahead of time in those little Ziploc bags. Put them in either the very top of your carry-on bag or in the side pocket. Know where they are. Uh, remove your computer. Um, I know on the show notes it says not tablets or phones. In my experience, it depends on which airport you go to. Uh, some airports still want me to take the tablet out. Some don't. Um, they go in a separate bin. 
empty all of your pockets. If you're wearing a belt, take your belt off. If you're wearing a jacket, remove your jacket. Uh, you do not have to remove your shoes. Even if you're wearing pants and the TSA agent starts barking at you that you need to remove your shoes. I always, well, I always travel in a skirt, Dave, just because it kind of, it eliminates a lot of potential issues right from the beginning because they can visually see that I'm an amputee. So I find that I, it just saves time, right? But if yeah. for some reason I'm wearing pants or wearing jeans, I'll just lift up the the pant leg and show them that I'm an amputee and they usually just wave me into the little scanner. Yep. No question. That's right. And if you are TSA pre-check, basically some of these rules become much easier because your Ziploc liquid bags, your computers can stay in your luggage. That's one of the benefits of TSA pre. You don't have to take all this stuff out of your, um, out of your carry-on bags. So that's one thing. You still have to empty your pockets and um, make sure that if um, sometimes when you go through certain airports, particularly smaller airports, um, and you're, if you're in the TSA pre-check line, sometimes they only have the um, x-ray um, machine. They don't have actually the full body scanner that you stand in, hold up your arms, and it spins around you to take a full body image. Um, the problem with the normal x-ray machines is that, A, you're going to trip it. B, they can't see what it is that tripped it. Um, and even if you tell them I have a prosthetic leg, they have to do an absolutely comprehensive pat down swabbing that is way more um, involved and takes longer than if you just go in the full body scanner. So if you are TSA pre, you go to an airport, they don't have a full body scanner where the TSA pre area is. Tell them I wear a prosthetic leg. I'd like to go through the full body scanner. They'll leave your luggage on the TSA pre line, but they will escort you to the, you know, essentially 10 yards over where the other line is, they'll let you cut in front, go through the full body scanner and get screened over there uh, to save you the time. Very cool. I, I did not know that. Yes, that's one so, that I found out the hard way when I walked through the x-ray machine once because they didn't have a full body scanner. And they're like, now we got to do all this stuff. And I was like, well, right. I wish I would have known that. <laughs> So the body screening, uh, as Dave just said, the full body scanner is definitely quicker and less invasive than other methods. Um, always let them know that you're wearing a prosthesis before you enter. You will still, you're going to flag even the full body scanner. They are going to do a pat down of either your leg or your full body. In my experience, it's really a crapshoot on which one I get. Uh, there seems to be no rhyme or reason, um, just kind of, I think, depends on the, you know, female assist that happens to be working that day on which one I'm going to get. They will always swab my hands and swab my prosthesis as well and check that for explosives. So, yeah, and I will tell you, one of the things, Peggy, that I also think, I mean, I think we view these types of claims with skepticism, but one of the complaints about TSA is the lack of consistency from visit to visit. Mm -hmm. And one of the stock responses you get is, well, we change our methods all the time because we have to keep changing them to stay ahead of the bad guys. Um, and you can say yay or nay to that. That makes sense. But in fact, I was just traveling last week. So we're now, you know, we're in the, the days before 9-11. And so um, I was traveling, you know, less than a week before 9-11. And when I went through an airport that I've been through conservatively 50 to 75 times over the last 10 years, uh, for the first time ever, they did a different kind of pat down. Um, the guy had me actually remove my belt, which very rarely happens. 
um, he he was doing pretty comprehensive uh, pat down, asking me to hold my pants up, which has never happened before because he was really pushing to make sure that the metal was where the metal was was supposed to be. So um, it's just an interesting experience and, and suggests that, in fact, um, at least in that instance, I can think of a logical reason why the screening would be different at that time of year as opposed to other times. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. It's just, it, it's it's frustrating too. You think you kind of know what to expect and the flow is generally the same, um, but I never know if it's going to be, you know, the true full pat down or just the leg pat down. Sure, sure. So. And Dave, what do you do if you have a bad TSA experience? Say that the TSA agent was incredibly rude or acted inappropriately or kind of either embarrassed you during the pat down or screening or tried to get you to do something that was unsafe or made you feel uncomfortable? Well, so there's two situations or two, I guess, um, times at which you would respond to this. One possibility is you're at the airport, it's happening to you, you're uncomfortable with it, and you flag it right there. And if you do that, you just need to escalate and you very politely but firmly elevate the issue, ask to speak to a supervisor. They may say, why do you want to speak to a supervisor? You simply say, listen, no offense. I just need to talk to a supervisor. This isn't something I'm comfortable with. I'm happy to wait here until you can get me one, but I need to speak to someone before we go any further. And they have to go and get a supervisor in that instance. Now, if you choose not to handle it at the airport, in other words, something happened to you, you've said to yourself, I don't feel good about this, but I just want to get through security, or maybe you're late for a flight and you're just trying to get through it as quickly as possible, you can file complaints online. And if you go to our show notes for this podcast, um, you will see we've included the link uh, for TSA where you can file the online complaint. And if you... if I'm going to add something to this, Dave. If you're really feeling that that the situation was so, you know, outrageous and really left left an impression with you, you could do both. You can flag it at the airport, Absolutely. speak with the supervisor, get that situa- situation rectified, then go and fill out the form online and make sure that there's some follow through as well. Yeah, it's a great point, Peggy, and and I hadn't thought of that, but you absolutely can use both of those mechanisms. So, all right, so we packed, we got to the airport, we got through security. The next thing is pre-boarding or boarding the plane. Um, You always have the right to pre-board. It really kind of depends on the airline. Just go up to the ticket, um, the attendant at the gate and tell them that you need to pre-board because you have a disability. They may or may not ask you what that is. Um, I've actually had them ask me a few times, which is fine. And once you say I have a a prosthetic device, very quickly, they'll give you the card to pre-board. Um, I always pre-board mainly because it ensures that you can put your bag in the overhead, that there's plenty of room. And also because it does, it is easier for me to get on a plane when it's not very crowded, when I'm not bumping into people trying to get down the very, very narrow walkway. Yeah. And in almost every domestic airline I've traveled, they, they're very clear on the pre-boarding call. Most airlines call it 
either before first class or right after first class, um, before main boarding begins. And I almost never, in fact, I never, Peggy, go to the gate actually and tell them. Um, but as soon as I call the pre-board, I just walk up. And I will say, I think that the airline gate personnel have been trained on this because I used to very commonly get a quizzical look because I frequently wear long pants and I don't necessarily look disabled as I'm approaching them. And they would ask, this is, they would say, this is pre-board, you know, and I'd say, yes, I wear a prosthetic leg. And then they would apologize and um, get kind of embarrassed about it. In the last few years, that's almost never happened. They essentially take people at their word on pre-boarding. Um, so that's, um, you know, that's just my experience over the last few years. Okay, that's interesting. On Southwest, you have to have the blue card. Southwest is one of the few, is, is unique because exactly right. Southwest, Air, Southwest Airlines requires you to go to the gate beforehand to flag for them that you're actually disabled. And, you know, I typically, since I'm doing this all for work, it either is being done online for me uh, by a company uh, travel agent, or now we actually use an app that does it. But I have no way of flagging that proactively. So if I flew Southwest, I'd actually have to go to the airport. If I want a pre-board, I have to tell them um, I wear a prosthetic leg, and then they will reprint my whole boarding pass right there and give me the special blue um, pouch that the boarding pass goes in, which is the signal that you can actually pre-board. And you definitely want to pre-board on Southwest because they don't have seat assignments. Yes. And so the, the great secret of Southwest, if everyone wants to exploit their disability in a completely appropriate way, um, they have they seat by zones, A, B, C, and then their numbers. Um, and obviously, if you want to be in uh, group A, A1, you're going to pay way more than the people who are in group C. But as an amputee, you can simply pre-board, you can pay the rate for group C, and you will still be able to board first, which on Southwest is a big deal. Yes. Member benefits, right? That's it. You know, I will take, and I used to, I used to feel really guilty pre-boarding. I mean, it used to be my, my guilt for doing it was so severe that like I would, and, and I don't have much of a limp, but I would kind of kick it up a little bit when I was getting on just so other people would not shame me for doing it. So that's silly. <laughs> no, because I do exactly the same thing. It's a very bizarre psychological condition that I have where I pride myself on on walking in ways that are hopefully undetectable to the average person. But when I walk, well, as soon as I get to the gate and start walking down the jet bridge, all of a sudden I have a slight limp. Yep. I'm holding on to the railing for support. I, I feel like I have to do that because otherwise people will be like, who's this guy taking advantage of the system? Well, I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, 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 we're both insane in exactly the same way. There you go. Um, the one thing when you are uh, walking onto the plane, be careful because the, there's often a gap between the jet bridge to the plane, and it's very easy to kind of trip up there. So you really do want to be careful with that step. Yeah, there's a bit of a lip usually. Yeah. Yeah. And when you find your seats, uh, put your, your carry-on in the overhead bin first before you kind of settle in. Um don't put your secondary bag under the seat until you have what you need out of it. You know, if you want to get your tablet, if you want to get a snack or whatever, get everything that you need out of the bag before you stow that one. Yep. 
And, and if you can, Peggy, after your row is full, and this is one that I deal with a lot because I'm working on planes all the time. And so I've got my computer and I've got all the stuff that I need, but it's in my bag. And the older I get, the harder it is to just bend over and reach all the way down to the floor and grab my bag easily because I'm not as flexible as I used to be. And I'm a short guy, so I don't have long arms where it's easy to do. So I have taken to, um, as soon as the row is full, the other people in the row are there and I won't have to get up again. I will hook the strap of the bag or even the handle of it. I'll just hook it around the toe of my good foot. And what that allows me to do is if I need to pull that bag out during the flight, I can simply bring my foot up towards my chest and grab it much more easily. It's a very good practical tip, but I'm pretty sure flight attendants wouldn't like that for safety reasons. No, no, no. So it's under the seat in front of me still. Well, I know, but you know, if the whole idea is to evacuate quickly, you know, you're going to be schlepping a bag with you. I totally get it. And I do the same thing with my purse, but yeah, you know, I've never had a flight attendant even look at me for doing that. Okay. Never. Good. All right. All right. So we went we on the to get plane. Off the plane we had Maggie. a we, so do you have an issue with um your your suspension when you're flying? Do you swell? Um sometimes. Um I have found though so I think the answer is probably always yes, I do. I think my limb volume changes on a plane, but I will tell you that depending on the design of my socket, that is either an issue or it is not. Um there were times in my life where I wore a much Um, longer socket. Um, The theory of my prosthetist was that you want to sort of elongate the tissue. And then when I was on flights in particular, it would cause pretty significant pain, pain to the point where I would have to go to the bathroom, take the leg off for a few minutes, then redon it. And then it was fine. But it had to do with just the the volume switching and and the distal pull that I would get. Um, I'm not in that kind of socket anymore. And I've not had that issue since. Um, But yes, volume can definitely be affected. And I think for a below the knee amputee, um, more than an above, you know, there are different ways you can try to manage that actually actively because I don't use socks or anything. like that. Right. I don't use socks either, but I will release the pressure valve on my prosthesis on the socket and kind of slip out of my leg a little bit um, because sometimes it just feels like it's just being you know, squeezed and, and sucked dry. So, you know, I, I have been known to kind of reach under and you know, put my other foot on top of it and give it a little yank and get out of it a little bit. Gotcha. Okay. That's good to know. All right. So we flew and now we landed. Um, now everybody's going to stand up and we do the hurry up and wait game because even when you get to your gate, it takes forever to get off the plane. So don't rush. The aisles are incredibly narrow. Everybody in front of you is going to be getting off and grabbing their overhead bags and taking their time and hitting other people in the head with their bags as they're trying to get them down and trying to manage everything that they brought onto the plane. You know, unless you have to get to a connection and you're really stressed on time, take a deep breath, take your time, wait your turn, be patient. Yeah, it's not a race. It's, and um, where, where I think most people actually feel compelled to move is once you have all your bags and you're starting to walk off the plane and people feel like they need to rush because there's people behind them. And rest assured, the 15 people behind you, 10 of them 
are are going to require some time to get their bags down, to get themselves organized. You have time. Walk off the plane at a space at a pace you're comfortable with, not at the pace you think everyone else is desiring from you. Very good tip. I do that too. I get off and kind of just zoom, and you know, half the time I didn't slip back into my leg correctly, so my foot's all cattywampus, and it's just a mess. So. Slow and steady wins the race. Stay on the side of the jet bridge um, that where you have access to the railing. Um, again, try to get away from the crowds, resituate yourself, and then you can get to where you need to go. Yeah, most people on the jet bridge, I mean, once you get past the immediate um, exit from the plane where the usually the wheelchair attendants are lined up, um, there's not a lot of room. As soon as you start walking up the jet bridge, people who want to move fast are going to pass you on your left. Um, so if you want to be, um, safe, not rushed and have something to grab onto a lot of, um, jet bridges have pretty significant inclines. When you get off the plane, you're walking up to the actual airport terminal. Um, the, the railing can come in handy to help steady you and sort of pull yourself up a bit, especially if you're dragging luggage behind you. Um, having that railing is good for your balance. And you may have been seated for a long time and sometimes it's hard to, you know, go from being seated to you know, full pace. Yep. So not that a correct. So Dave, is there a tool for travel? Funny that you mentioned that Peggy. There is, we created one at amped a long time ago and I was looking at it today and it's still all current. There it's really you go. good. So if you want to access it, you can do that. Go to www.amplife.org and go to the educational section and under educational, uh, maybe educational resources, actually. Um, and if you go down there and scroll down to the bottom of that page, you'll see our TSA travel tool. Very cool. All right. I think that we uh, covered this Hall of Fame topic thoroughly again. Um, because people still want to travel. So a lot of fun. As they should. It's it's a basic right of amputees, as we declared as a community in the Amputee Bill of Rights oh, that you all put together. Oh, look how you tied that all together. Yeah. I, I am impressed. Well done. Thanks. If anyone wants to see the Amputee Bill of Rights, go to our website, www.amplife.org. Very good. All right, Dave. Are you traveling Great this week or are you, you home? I am home. I am home seemingly for, um, I think, two weeks. Okay. I hardly know what to do with myself. Wow. Wow. I'm yeah. traveling this week, but I'm actually, I'm going on board Thomas the Train this coming weekend. So uh, none of these tips will, will help me on the the travel to the island of Sodor. But, you know, I'll, I'll fill you all in next time we chat. Yes, I expect a, co- a comprehensive summary of this during our next podcast. All right. Have a good week. You too. It was great talking to you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.